Before beginning my sermon to you this on this, the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I'd like to point out that if today were not the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin, we would be getting to a rather critical section of the Eucharistic Discourse, which builds on last Sunday's passage and prepares us for the conclusion, which will come next week. As a result, next week, we will bring in a portion of what would have been read today so that it's not skipped in our following of the calendar's principal celebration. This morning, however, the message will be drawn from the text of the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, and the 12th chapter of John's Revelation. Before starting the message, I want to acknowledge that I hear many people who cast doubts upon the idea and criticize and outright oppose the practice of giving honor to Mary. And it is my prayer that by the end of this message, you will be able to answer such critics as to why it's important to give Mary the honor she is due. Today we take time to celebrate the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and this observation is also known as the Dormition of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And regardless of which name you use, the purpose is, to, is the same, to recognize the importance of Mary and commemorate her death and her being carried into heaven. Some people mistakenly believe that the teaching of the Assumption is that Mary did not die an earthly death. That is not the teaching of the Church, whether one be Catholic, Anglican, Orthodox, although many people believe that it is. What is taught is that the new Eve, full of grace, of the Holy Spirit, is preserved from sin and the corruption of death. The official teaching of the Church is that Mary's body did not undergo the corruption that's associated with death. On the 25th of June, 1997, St. John Paul II, when he was Pope John Paul II, explained it like this. The mother is not superior to the son who underwent death, giving it a new meaning and changing it to a means of salvation. Involved in Christ's redemptive work and associated with his saving sacrifice, Mary was able to share in his suffering and death. To share in Christ's resurrection, Mary had to first share in his death. The New Testament provides no information on the circumstances of Mary's death. Whatever from the physical point of view was the organic, biological cause of the end of her bodily life, it can be said that for Mary, the passage from this life to the next was the full development of grace in glory so that no death could ever be so fittingly described as a dormition as is hers. I bring this to your attention because there are many people out there who like to make claims about what other denominations teach. Frequently, this practice is to demonstrate how those denominations are wrong in one point or another or many points of doctrine. In order to make it easier to prove them wrong, people simply make up false claims about the other denominations and then disprove what they make up out of thin air. Now then... We are here to celebrate the Assumption, the Adormition, the gentle death of Mary, and how she was and is unique among all humanity in the kingdom of God. To do this, we'll take a look at the passages that we read earlier to see what we are taught about Mary in the Scripture. But before we do so, however, I need to invite you to the invite your attention to the sixth chapter of the second book of the prophet Samuel. 
There we read, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David leaped and danced before the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of the Lord. David leaped and danced in the presence of the Lord. And furthermore, also in 2 Samuel, David said, Why did the Ark of the Lord visit me? There are reasons that it is important to bring these details to your attention today. And those details return us to our Gospel passage. From the Gospel according to St. Luke in the first chapter, beginning in the 39th verse, we read, And Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country without haste, into the city of Judea, and entered the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. When you add in the details that the wording of the account of the Lord becoming present in the ark of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, says that the tent was overshadowed, that's an exodus, and the story of Mary becoming pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, saying that she was overshadowed by the power of the Lord, that's in Luke chapter 1, in order to make the Lord Jesus Christ present within her, we see clearly that Luke is teaching us that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. That that, in and of itself, tells us that Mary is unlike any other person. There was simply not a day that God the Father said, I want to send my son to the earth, who shall be his mother? And then God randomly picking somebody that seemed like a good choice. The archangel Gabriel did not go from house to house pronouncing the opportunity to give birth to the infant Jesus, and Mary was the one who happened to say yes after who knows how many said no that they did not want to be a teenage unwed mother for God or anybody else. Mary had been chosen for the task before time as we know it began. Remember how Gabriel greeted Mary? And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That is the English Standard Version. In another translation, we find it translated as this. And the angel came to her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And that's the King James Version. And then the, there is an angel said to her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's the Dewey Rings Version. Or... The angel came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That's the Revised Standard Version. In all of these translations, whether the word translated is favored or full of grace, the Greek word or term in question is a verb. Ke charitomene. Literally meaning, having been graced by God. 
It is a passive verb, meaning that God is the one filling Mary with grace. The verb is also a perfect verb, meaning that it is completed action which has an ongoing and perpetual effect, meaning that it happened, it is happening, and it will continue to happen. In other words, Mary was graced, is graced, and will continue to be graced. God's gracing action upon Mary began prior to Mary ever coming into human existence. From the moment of her birth, Mary was already filled with the grace of God, which she, like every other human being, needed for her salvation. The difference is, for her, she received her, God, her, her grace from God preemptively and was therefore preserved from the stain of sin. Now, some of you have started to put a few of these pieces together and are asking yourself, is he saying that Mary was uniquely chosen before she was ever born? Is he saying that God was actually using Mary in his plan for redemption prior to the day Gabriel made the Annunciation about 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel? And before I answer your questions, let me ask you a couple things. Did the entire history of mankind sinning against God beginning with Adam and Eve, occur before the birth of Mary? Did the rebellion of Satan in heaven occur before the birth of Mary? Was Satan and his band of rebellious angels swept out of heaven before the birth of Mary? Did Satan appear in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve and all the demonic activity we read about in the Old Testament occur before the birth of Mary? I feel rather confident that you have answered yes for all of these questions. And with that confidence, let us look again to the passage from John's Revelation. In that passage we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his head. He, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Bible scholars agree that this description of the red dragon is a description of Satan in his fight to take over the kingdom of God. Further, it describes the sweeping of the one-third of the angels out of heaven and casting them to earth. And those angels are those who joined the rebellion and are now demons. St. John the Evangelist wrote this while in exile on the Isle of Patmos, roughly in the year 95, which is 62 years after the death of Jesus. But the Lord God has allowed him to see an event in heaven that happened long before his time, long before any human's time. John sees Satan and his demonic followers forced out of heaven and cast to the earth. But wait, as the infomercial says. There is more. What more can there be? Who else does John see? And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Have you ever wondered why in paintings or statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary she is standing on a crescent moon and crowned with stars? That is the reason. It comes from the description in Revelation. We read further, The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was to be born. And she brought forth a man-child, and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. 
The dragon wants to devour the man-child. The dragon wants to devour Christ, who we know is born of the woman, Mary. Born of the woman Mary as part of the heavenly warfare that occurred just before Satan and his demons were cast from heaven to earth. Cast from heaven to earth where they proceeded to tempt Adam and Eve into sin many generations prior to Mary's earthly birth and life here on earth. And all of this is possible because of the very simple fact that God is free from the bounds of time. If that were not so, we could not have the other passage from the Revelation, which describes Jesus as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. We would not have Jesus telling the Jews who were confronting him before Adam was, I am. And the many other passages which demonstrate that God, unlike us, is free from the constraints of time. And God used that freedom from the constraints of time to use Mary, even before she was born, to be part of Jesus, being, as our creed says, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Or in other language, Jesus is eternally begotten. This is how the kingdom of heaven, this is how in the kingdom of heaven, Mary brought forth a man-child, and her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. And then when the time came, Mary brought forth a man-child, Jesus, who was physically begotten in the womb of Mary, the Ark of the New Covenant, and while still in the womb of Elizabeth, while still in the womb of Elizabeth, John, who would later be John the Baptist, just as David did before him, leaped and danced in the presence of the Lord. Now we can answer the question, why is it important to give honor to Mary? To do so, take into consideration who else has been graced from before his or her birth? Who else has been graced in a way that is full and complete in an ongoing reality? Who else was, in God's great freedom from time, used prior to his or her own birth to be part of the history of salvation? Who else was preserved in purity in order to be the ark of the new and eternal covenant? Who else was so honored by God himself to receive a crown made of the stars of heaven? When we think of Mary, let our voices join that of Archangel Gabriel and Mary, Mary's cousin Elizabeth when we say, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Amen.